This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole. Okay, it's back to Up the Rabbit Hole with a sex therapist. This is Dr. Corey Rushka and with my lovely assistant and or newly some sex therapist, Brandy. What's the giggling about there in the background that I see? Oh, you called me lovely. That's nice. Oh, I thought you were going to make fun of me for calling you lovely. Do you want me to change that? I can change that adjective. <laughs> no, that's all good. I like being called lovely. <laughs> better, than, better than chirpy? Better than chirpy. Yep. I'm 100% better than chirpy. Yes. Okay. So, so today our topic is about trust in relationships. And so we'll spend a little bit of time exploring kind of what trust is as we go through. But I guess we're going to start off with my wonderful cute joke of the day today that I found. So, Brandy, here's a question for you. So what kind of bees make milk? Make milk? Milk. I don't know. Boobies. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so lame. It's funny. That's a good one. I thought that was so cute. So very uh, simple, very simple. Nice and to the point. I like that. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. So Brent, Dandy, do you have any questions you want to kind of talk a little bit about in terms of trust or do we want to get right into some of these questions as we explore this? Because trust is a common issue in, in pretty much not only, I mean, although we have the sex therapy issues, but it's, it's in all relationships. It's in kind of all aspects of life and work and all those areas. So I'm sure we could touch uh, base on a little bit of those other areas as we go through this too. Oh, absolutely. It's um, kind of imperative to have a good, well-rounded relationship though. Yes, and I think trust for me is the foundation, the foundation of most relationships. Because if you don't have trust, you don't know, you know, just really hesitant. Be it you're trusting your car, trusting your, your accountant to do the right job or your dentist or your doctor, you know, all those things, you know, trust is quite important. It, it, it totally is. And of course that in communication and relationships are really the foundation of, of any relationship. So you got to have trust to communicate and you got to communicate to be able to kind of, you know, get to where you want it to go. And, and build your trust. And ultimately, yeah, I think we spend a lot of time on these two areas, just in most relationships when they come in. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or breach of trust. Cause I spent a lot of time on the breach of trust, never mind building trust and the repair process, which we'll spend more time exploring later on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's another big one too, which is, which is quite difficult to come back from sometimes. Why don't you read the question? We'll explore it. Okay. First question. I have had an issue with trust my whole life. I have never been able to put trust into someone and it has caused problems in relationships. Now I'm about to lose my fiance over the same thing. I feel like I can finally take action and start trusting, but he has no faith. How do I show change? I think my first question from this, now my hunch is that she has a hard time, um, or it could be he, I guess we don't have a a kind of a gender in this process, but you know, that they're they're the ones that tends to be having the issue with trust. But my first question would be who has the issue? Because sometimes you may not trust a person, even though they are trustworthy, but other times they might not be trustworthy. And it makes sense why you don't have trust in them because they are not very, you know, consistent or trustworthy over the process. 
And so that's, that's my first question is, you know, are they the one that has the issue going forward? You know, and this is an ongoing pattern in their, in their life. Well, it seems like it, as the first statement was, I've had an issue with trust my whole life. Yeah. And sometimes I might say is they, they think they have the issue, but they just hang around with people who are untrustworthy. So they think sure. they're the issue, but really it's all the people around them that keep breaching their trust and they have poor decision-making with, with relationships. So that is some things that I may see uh, as well, whether, you know, they think they're the problem, but really it's that their, their problem is bad choices in relationships rather than, you know, the trust. Absolutely fair. And then I guess I, my follow-up question, that would be, has the fiance done anything to not earn the trust? So has there been a breach from the fiance? Mm-hmm. And so then that's the thing. I mean, here it sounds like, you know, the fiance has no faith in the process. And so we'll, we can spend maybe a little bit of time from a therapeutic lens on how to show change, which I'll talk a little bit about. But I also want to break it down into defining trust. Because for me, when I'm looking at trust, a lot of people have this big global idea that I either trust or I don't trust. And for me, when I look at trust, I got to break it down into like those little pie pieces where it's like, you don't trust them with money. You don't trust them with, you know, your life. Is it trusting with, you know, them behaving appropriately with other people when they're out? You don't trust them with going to work or with driving. And they might have a really good trust overall, but they might be very poor in one area. You know, just they, you, you trust them with your life. You trust them with, you know, your kids, you trust them with your family. You just don't trust them with money. So it's just breaking that down. And so making sure that when people are looking at defining trust, that they identify which areas of trust that they may actually trust versus ones that they don't. I think the other one might be, before I kind of look at building trust, uh, my other question would be looking at that trauma in history. Like, is there a his- history with her in her past where there has been, you know, either a significant breach or, or a, you know, the bad history that has kind of led them to be starting to view the world in a very untrustworthy place or a particular incident that might be very traumatic that is now just triggering her to not have trust in a particular area. And so our histories tend to really impact how we view trust going forward. 100% agree. Trauma is really difficult for that, but thankfully there's a lot of therapy that can be done for trauma that can make this less problematic. But what's your favorite therapy for working with trauma, Brandy? Oh, EMDR all the way. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to support. It's just so much faster than my traditional means. I know there are a few other ones. What are some of the other ones? Yeah, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation is another one that can be really effective. Um, anytime somebody goes through a variety of different things, including trauma, uh, your neural pathways start to kind of close down with the tissues, my understanding. And TMS, they use magnets across your different parts of your brain, and that can reopen those uh, neural pathways and tissues, which can be extremely beneficial. Well, there's emotional freedom technique, as well as emotion-focused therapy. CPT is another one for the trauma work. You can do trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's just a, you know, our beginning level of stuff. So there are a whole bunch of different styles and they work quite differently. Yes. Uh, but I'm inclined to support kind of your lens of when I'm working with trauma, I, I try to go with the EMDR first if they can tolerate that. And most of my clients haven't had no problems tolerating it because it, in my experience, it's about 10 times faster for, for working through the stuff. Yeah, super efficient. It works really, really well. And it's long-term. 
So it's, um, it works really, really well with clients. I've actually personally been through the EMDR process, so I can speak to it. It, it. it works fabulously, as a matter of fact. And so if I have clients who are on the fence about, well, you know, I'm not sure, I can, I always tell them, you know, I've also been through the process. I can speak to its efficacy. It's long lasting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone who's taken the EMDR hacks to actually experience it. So that's, that's one of the right. things of it. So <laughs> even if it's a little trauma, it doesn't have to be their big, big trauma stuff, but you, you no. get a taste. You, you most certainly do. And so I think what, you know, when you say that to clients, they, they put a lot of faith in that. And so it is the fastest, most effective thing that I have used for trauma anyway. So I'm wondering, you know, if that would, that can show change in a very quick and effective way, if she's ready to do that. So if we're going to get back to her question, uh, I assume it's a her, um, but you know, to their question, um, how do I show change is ultimately the question that's been brought forward. Mm-hmm. And for me, I guess I need to know what are they doing uh, when they say putting trust, you know, what, what is, what does that look like when they say change, you know, are they flipping out? Are they, you know, trying to, are they feeling insecure? Are they re- trying to restrict someone? Are they trying to engage in controlling behaviors to, to, uh, you know, uh, alleviate the anxiety? Um, you know, are they threatening? So, you know, part of it in order for us to really get a good understanding of how do you show change is we need to know what those particular behaviors would be to be able to play with that. And that's part of the job as a good therapist. We need to really know what those details are because what you might think might be an easy answer could be one of 10 different things, given that slight little nuance and what they're bringing forward. Absolutely. I mean, if we're building trust, while we're at the beginning of the first question, why don't I just focus a little bit on the key components for building trust that I tend to teach my clients. And the first thing is, you know, if you're going to show change, you need to show, you know, once you know what behaviors you're going to be doing, or the other person who is building, trying to build trust, who's been the breacher, is we need consistency. And that's probably the most one. So we have, uh, there's five key components that I usually teach people, and we have consistency, which is doing it over and over and over and that being consistent in that process so that you can start trusting. And normally in my experience, and there's some research supporting this, it takes about seven to 30 times um, to build that level of, of either the trust or that, that pattern of kind of habitizing something, which also in, includes, you know, showing that trustworthiness is starting to show itself. Uh, we have openness, and that's being open regarding what's going on when someone asks you. And then honesty, um, which is being honest when you're trying to be open. So that's kind of, uh, they're, they sound very similar and there's slight nuances in the differences in terms of, uh, we have genuineness, which is presenting in a genuine way. Um, and then I have transparency, which means when someone asks you to look at something, let's say that you have that openness, honesty, genuineness, and the transparency to show us, sure, take a look at this. This is commonly I'll see is like, hey, who are you emailing or texting? And that transparency says, here, you know, take a look. Uh, I have nothing to worry about. And if you have questions, even if it looks kind of it's big sketchy, I'm, I'm not hiding it. And I'm willing to have a conversation about it because if there's feelings of insecurity, then chat about it. So those kind of components help build that trust in terms of my stuff. Anything you would add to that, Brandy, in your experience? Um, I was, you know, while you're saying that, I was just really thinking that Gottman's therapy for couples may be really, really effective. Um, I know there's a component in there where they go over trust and they discuss, 
um, what it looks like and, and um, how to communicate about trust. And so Gottman's might be something that they both want to um, take into consideration and see if that would help them out as a couple as opposed to just singular dynamics. Yeah, if they're looking at working on a couple's lens from a therapeutic lens, at least yes. common therapy. The second one's always interesting. Sure. Okay. My boyfriend talks about his ex all the time and their sex life. He takes me to the same places. He lied to her and told her he is not dating anyone. I've seen pictures he hid of her. I talked to him and he stopped, but the thoughts keep coming back. What should I do? So this so is a little bit, little bit quirky because I'm not quite sure what the question is. What are the thoughts? What's going on? So it's a little bit open-ended. So why don't you start where... Well, my question, yeah, my, my thoughts and what she should do, because it sounds like, you know, the thoughts keep coming back. And the only thing that really stands out would be probably those pictures. And so if she's seen pictures, I think it depends on what those pictures could be. This could be a good example of what that trauma response might be, where you see pictures of things that you really shouldn't have done or seen, and, and they imprint in your brain. And now you can't stop imaging those, those pictures in your head. And like I said, EMDR, like I said, is the favorite one for dealing with these because it, it works nice and fast. But that would be my first step is the thoughts of those pictures are likely coming back. And this would be a good example of going to therapy uh, or seeking someone who can be very focused in that trauma response to kind of unhook those feelings or that image and let it kind of cool down a little bit because they, they, they may not change in terms of the intensity with classic trauma. That visual image may look the same today and the same in 10 years. And I've had cases where those flashbacks or the visual images have the same level of feeling and, and clarity. They don't change. Normally, things will change over about three months. It starts to just dissipate and fade away. So partly it depends on the timelines she was talking about here, too. I also wonder if the lying, if because she know, I'm assuming, again, I'm assuming it's a she, so they know that the boyfriend had lied to his ex. And the great thing, unfortunately, sometimes about women is we take that information and then we personalize it towards us because we're a little complicated. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm a female. I will own that. But honestly, you know, is she expecting that he's going to also lie to her because this is a past behavior that has already occurred? And maybe the concern is that he's going to lie to her uh, telling other people that they are not dating. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, it definitely sounds like there's been breach in this case, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, in his case, he's breached in terms of the lack of transparency regarding the dating component. And, you know, for that, you know, it might not be a breach of the pictures, but he did hide those from her. Now, the question some people will bring up that I see in therapy a lot is like, you know, a good example is, do I need to bring out all the old pictures I have of my girlfriends if I've taken pictures of them with them because that's what I have to bring forward? Or, you know, do I have to let you know I'm using porn because that's been my history and what kind of things do we talk about and bring forward in the relationship as you build it? And so that's, that's usually one of those things that I encourage, you know, couples to discuss because it's not always a, a required or an important thing to bring forward. And in fact, to cause problems because they start now comparing themselves you can't unsee things once you see them or even hear them sometimes. Well, and you know, the thing is, if he's got these pictures that he hid of this ex, uh, again, my mind goes, perhaps where lots of people do's or don'ts is, are they intimate pictures? And if you're dating someone else, perhaps you should not have intimate pictures of your ex 
on your phone when you're dating someone else. Now, again, that's just my, so that might be something he needs to get off of his phone. So she's feeling a little bit more secure. Or get informed consent to say, hey, I have these pictures and it could be from a bunch of different people. And, you know, they may be playfully, I'll say they may be important to them due to whatever, but it's now an informed consent process to say, hey, what do you want me to do with these? Because they might like, she might have some pictures too. And even if they're relationships. And so how do they navigate that building of trust to say, here's what I have, here's what you have. How do we want to deal with these pictures? Do we need to, you know, put them into a lockable, you know, briefcase or somewhere where, you know, they might be something we don't want to get rid of because they're our history. No different than, hey, I have pictures of, let's say, you know, although I don't have that history. If you have an ex-wife or ex-husband and you have all those family pictures, it's like, wow, geez, I'm getting rid of all of those because they're no longer my wife. But they all your history. Now, depends on what pictures <laughs> they are, too. You know, it's like uh, that, that's just a thing to, again, it's the proof is in the details sometimes. Yeah, transparency is going to be really, really important. Um, and just when you talk about pictures, it's hilarious that you said to lock them in a briefcase. Most of the pictures that well, are, yeah, no. are, are a, on a, our phones. Internet briefcase, <laughs> a, a, a lockable private place where someone can't get access to it. Yeah, but if they're in your, you know, in your like your photos uh, currently on your phone, it may be something that you want to discard when you're in a new relationship with somebody else, especially if they are intimate photos. Yeah. And here's a challenge I'll also see. Some people that say, hey, I don't have a problem with you keeping them, but I want to see them all. And so, and therefore then you just be prepared going into that one is you don't always, you know, you, you might not be able to handle some of those pictures and it might be. So it's just not always all of the details and information to see. It's just about if you really need it, if there's insecurity dynamics and what do they need to do to help secure that if there are any of those issues. Right. I mean, the other thing I would, I would suggest as well is, you know, it's one thing to talk about your ex. I mean, I have an ex, so well, many of us do, right? So it, it's one thing to talk about them if, if you're having issues or whatever, but Talking about the sex life that you had with your ex, mate, that's going to, again, make women. Well, it makes any, person- it make anyone. Hey. Well, I'm a woman, yeah. so I'm speaking from a female perspective. A lot of times that can be really, really uncomfortable. Like, well, did you like it better with her or is this okay with me? So again, because there's a lot of personalization, yeah. especially when it comes to sex, you may want to keep those conversations or not have them. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, you are right. I would say as the feminine persuasions tend to have more personalization of this process, men and still can be quite insecure about that because they have performance anxiety and things don't always work. And it's like, well, Hey, my last boyfriend lasted half an hour. Why, you know, why are you lasting like 30 seconds? And, you know, and so what does that look like? And, you know, so just being able to kind of play with that. Now, my, my other question from here is when he says he takes you to the same places, my question would be, you know, are you trying to share a good experience and bring her along saying, hey, you know what, I just want to be transparent. This is one of those things that rock my world. And I want to now share that with you versus I'm just trying to repeat the whole thing that I had with my ex-girlfriend. And you happen to be, you know, can you wear this wig while you're at it, too? And, you know, it just happens to look like my ex-girlfriend, you know. So it's it's kind of what's the intent and what's the openness and the transparency regarding what, what you know, what he's doing in this case. Nope, so it's. And so this, the thoughts coming back could be a trauma-based, like we said. It could be 
you know, there needs to be a discussion about what's the intent, what's going on regarding here. Yeah, I would have a lot of questions surrounding this one. And, and is get a he, better picture. Is he finished with the previous relationship? You know, or this happens to be a temporary, you know, person uh, while they're waiting to get that the other person back, right? Yeah, totally fair. Agreed. Lots more questions for that one, that's for sure. But okay. we're gonna move on to number three now. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Uh, I have been in a relationship for four, going on five years now. I truly believe I love the person I'm with, but she recently admitted to cheating on me with a guy she had gotten close with. I was devastated and I really don't know what to do. She claims to love me and I love her too, but how do I forgive this? Uh, so this now moves into our, you know, breach repair process. Mm -hmm. So I guess, first of all, my question might be, you know, it sounds definitely there's been a breach of trust. The, the issue is I might ask, when did this happen? Is this six years ago, four years ago, like last month? How long has she been holding on to this or hiding this? So that's going to be kind of a, a component that I would want to know versus, you know, hey, it just happened recently and now they're coming forward or sorry, I, this has been, you know, four years ago, I've been holding on to this and it's been going on for a bunch of time in the last four or five years. And now I just finally can't you know, deal with it. Now I want to let you know. And even what now too, like, how do you define cheating? I have lots of different definitions of cheating from different people coming into the office from looking at someone to be viewed as cheating to, you know, I call it the emotional cheating. I fell in love. The person may not have actually known about it. So is that cheating? to, you know, both people having an emotional relationship, but not physical or having a physical intimate relationship, meaning, you know, they had a sexual relationship or had sex. And so now we have, and that would be the classic definition of cheating, but not everyone has the same definition. And so it's really important to know how we're defining cheating too. hundred percent, hundred percent. And so what is this, what does this look like on a going forward basis? Well, that's a great right. question. So what do they need to do? Like, A, do they want to move forward? Like, does, you know, does, you know, he, in this case, I assume, um, does he want to move forward with the same person given the history, like uh, given the whole person versus this breach? Does this breach, you know, if they're a, a 95 on the 100 point scale and this breach knocks them down quite a bit, but in all other areas, they still might want to invest and stay in this relationship and work through this. That's, that's, you know, one lens versus, you know, this is an unforgivable incident. And even if they love them, they, they can't accept and, and live with this. And so that's going to be up to that individual to, first of all, decide, is this a, a movable forward or, a, you know, willing to work on it to see if it can change versus that? Nope, that's my hard, hard boundary. And I, I can't accept this no matter how much I love you. And, you know, that's, that is a question that I ask all my clients if I'm working with couples. What do you, what are you looking for? What do you want out of this? Do you want to move it forward? Is this going to be something that is forgivable? What does that look like? How long of a process? Like, are you willing to put in the effort? Um, so there's lots of questions surrounding that when you're working with couples. Is this some, this is really difficult for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you come back from that? It's one of the most common patterns that we'll see in terms of the breach of relationship dynamics. So mm -hmm. My, my other question from here is, has this happened before? You know, in, 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 in this case, you know, her history. Is this the first time she's ever done that? Or in any previous relationships, has she done it in those as well? 
you know, so that's what I'm looking at, you know, that couple to have a good discussion is what's the, what's the history pattern of behavior? Because, you know, one of the things discussed is, you know, going forward, best predictor of future behavior is past behavior past and behavior. understanding the context, right? Yeah. So. Well, then I would also look at like relationship dynamics. Does she want to open up the relationship? Does she want to make that kind of leap? Do they want to do that together? Does he not want to? So, I mean, there are relationship dynamics that allows for this in a different way. Going forward. But yeah, here yes. there's a breach. And now how do we repair the breach? Yes. And then how do we navigate going forward? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so let's, let's, let's talk a little bit maybe about repairing breaches. One of the, the models that I like to use, which is the, the five languages of apology brought forward by Gary Chapman, because it's, it's a little easier to kind of follow. And so typically when we're looking at that, there's going to be your apology, which we're looking at how do they do a sincere apology and heartfelt apology. The second would be the accountability, which is the acknowledgement without, you know, excuses if there was an actual breach. And I'm simplifying this as, you know, much as possible, but the book's nice and straightforward. And so it gives you a nice area. But the important one that I clients get stuck on is the step three out of the five. And that's the restitution, which is what do they need to do to balance the scale given the breach? And that restitution is commonly an easy way to look at it is using the five love languages, which would be you know, words, um, acts of service, quality time, gifts, or physical touch. And it all depends on what the breach would be, you know, and this likely is going to be some act of service. And I kind of use my playfully, I use my um, government taxes model to look at how we kind of look at equity for that uh, restitution. If you're late on your taxes, you're going to be paying a penalty, not just what you owe. And if you decide to delay it for a year, you get paid interest payments daily. So in this dynamic, people tend to emotionally do that same thing. The longer you hold on to something and not tell someone, the more interest you kind of emotionally build up is why did you wait a year to tell me if you, instead of telling me immediately. So it shows that lack of transparency, which erodes trust over time, especially when you find out later. So that's some things just to consider. And so that would be step three. And that's the one where we got to, that's the hard work one. Um, balancing the scale and trying, what do you need to do to kind of repair it? Some stories just don't work if we're looking at trying to do a repair. It just helps put the bandaid on it, but we still have to do the work beyond that. Step four, according to Gary Chapman, would be the, um, i trying to remember what he calls it, but it's really, it's the safety plan. What do we need to do to make sure this hap- you know, doesn't happen again? So there's a discussion, there's kind of processing. Um, and, and setting of that security for that consistency um, so that they can rebuild that. And then once all of those four have been, you know, adequately kind of accomplished, then we move into that forgiveness process, which could be either requesting forgiveness is what he calls it, or even just giving it because it might naturally happen when you scratch, you know, that, that all those areas well enough. So in this case, the breachee needs to now figure out what do they need from the breacher if they want to move forward in order to, you know, repair that process and, and balance things out. And you might not know, but normally we try a few things and reevaluate to see, is it, is it equitable? Has, how do you feel that it's, they've done the work and that they've repaid, you know, repaid and repaired from that breach that you kind of had? That's pretty much it for that, 
the five languages, but I encourage you to look at that one. And I think the other good book that I would recommend people to look at by Esther Perel is The State of Affairs. And she has a good comment of, you know, it doesn't have to you know, lead to a breakup. Sometimes it can lead to a strengthening of the relationship, but there will be a struggle as you go through that. Worst case, you may not be able to forgive. And so that's just a question of, you know, a possible acceptance that you might have to do no matter how hard you do it. You might be out of your scope at this point to be able to forgive that, that behavior given, given the history. Lots of work on that one for sure. Uh, question number four, uh, my boyfriend and I are going long distance soon and I'm in a panic. I'm going crazy, not knowing what he will do. Why can't I trust him? He never did anything untrustworthy. How do I stop being so possessive and jealous? The, well, the good news here is it's, it's not a, it's not a him thing. It's, no. it's a her thing. So there's insecurity and, you know, stuff going on on her side. And so then, you know, this brings up to me a nice little discussion on attachment theory, which is, you know, again, is there a history of this in other relationships? But in attachment theory, I mean, think of, you know, 50% of the population has what we call a secure attachment to that, to their party. Now, if you have a turbulent history, you can now learn different attachment models. Well, really, it leads to different attachment models. And if you kind of grow up in a very insecure family system, then you can develop what's called insecure attachment. And that basically where you feel kind of that, that's that needy, clingy, you know, I need you because there's that fear of abandonment. Uh, and the, the other one on the other side of that, which is I think there's about 20% of the population tend to run more insecure attachment and about 20%, I think, 23% maybe, run the avoidant attachment. And the avoidant attachment tends to look like these are the individuals, I always think of you go to the bar and they're the ones that will happily sleep with you and take off as soon as they can. So they really don't want to invest any time and they're as avoidant as possible if someone wants to get clingy. And so what happens when you get your insecure attachment individual with your avoidant attachment, they trigger the hell out of each other because the insecure is chasing the avoidant individual to kind of get that security and the avoidant is pushing away as fast as possible because they need their space, so to speak, and their freedom. And so they trigger each other as they try to work on it. And so the good news is, you know, there's one more on here, but this is kind of the disorganized attachment. And this is commonly more seen in your borderline personality disorder traits, where it's the, the integrated of both the insecure and avoidant. And it's like, come here, go away, come here, go away. You know, I love you. I, you know, don't leave me ever get out of here. I never want to see you again. And, you know, uh, the good news is I think when they were looking at some of the research is if you are in a relationship with someone who is very strong in their secure attachment, that you can shift those to that secure attachment by learning that. So that's where I'm playing with that. Is, is this an insecure attachment dynamic? It could be some OCD possibilities. Is there any history of you know, mental health issues, which might be a, when I'm looking at digging through someone's history and understanding what they're doing or why they're doing it. This is some of the stuff that I, I tend to want to know just to help kind of lay the foundation so I'm making a good diagnosis or a good understanding to help them work through it. And you know what? I would just go simple to start, right? Because I well, want more yep. information. So I would really start with, okay, A, how long have you been dating? Because sometimes that makes a big difference. Because if they've been, for instance, if they've been living together, and of course we have no, no knowledge, but if they've been living together and now they're going long distance, that's a big disruption to a relationship. And so it would be 
my way of thinking is pretty natural that like, you don't know what's going to happen. They're going long distance. What does that look like? But she's allowed to be really open. And I'm assuming it's a female allowed to be really open and transparent and just say, you know what? I need some reassurance about this. So what are we going to do? So I feel a little bit more reassured that nothing is going to happen. Are we going to text every day? Are we going to chit chat every day? Like how, when you're used to having someone in your life close to you and then they or long distance, trust me, folks, long distance, not easy, not fun no, sometimes. Not but not you, right. So you make these types of adjustments for when you go long distance. So you do feel more secure, but she also has to ask for that. She can't just let him go and let him think everything is just dandy. And then she's going wild in her own mind. So it's okay to ask for reassurance. It's, to me, it's almost mandatory because this is about building that trust. It's about opening yeah. up that communication setting the boundaries, asking for things that you need, not making the assumptions that they can read your mind. Because um, then I get, I guess, ultimately, when I'm looking at her responses, like, what are you afraid of? Like, you tell me you're not knowing what he will do. I assume there's something in your head that you think he may be doing. So I want to know, what are you afraid of? And, you know, sure, you, she could be picking up on things that might be happening, even if he hasn't bro broached yet. I have seen cases where they're totally trustworthy and there's a reason they're going. <laughs> and then it's like, surprise, you know, they have someone on the side and you, you didn't know it. So assuming that that's not the case in this case, but again, making sure you're opening up that communication dynamic. hundred percent. And then I would also question just because of the wording that she uses that she described, or again, they described themselves as being possessive and jealous. I really wonder if this is a person who has controlling tendencies a lot of people have controlling tendencies. Why do they control? Well, so they've got a predictable outcome because within those amounts of predictable outcomes, I now feel safe, right? They're moving into something where it's more of a gray area as opposed to a very black and white area, right? It helps so alleviate, yeah, alleviate that anxiety. 100%. So this, this could be an anxious response because we're dipping our toe into the gray zone and we don't have a predictable outcome and we don't know what this is going to look like. Therefore, that's raising the anxiety piece and you get a little possessive and jealous because you just don't know. And I think that brings up a good kind of point because I have people coming into my office and they talk about, oh, you're just controlling, you know, and so the, the question is controlling behavior could be actually controlling behavior which is I'm, I want to overpower you and I want to be in charge versus a response to anxiety, which looks like it's controlling behavior, but really it's trying to gain security by securing things. And so they may look almost identical, but the whole underlying root is quite different. Yes. But if a lot of times, if you ask your clients, why do you think you do that? They'll tell you, oh, because yes. then I know what's going to happen. And then I'll always prime them to then how does that make you feel? Well, safer. Well, of course it does. Because right. now we've got, you know, we've we've decided here's our list of predictable outcomes. And if it's one of these, I'm OK, because I know what to expect going out of right. that comfort zone and not knowing. It's like, ooh, this is scary. Yeah, there's a good example of your anxious or insecure dynamic. My mm -hmm. controlling dynamic would be is because it's not her right. I, I'm in charge. I get to decide what's going on. And this is how it's going to be. There's your controlling response. So, and they are out there. Oh, 100%. But you know what? Most people I've worked with are not real controllers. They just yeah. want to control the situation so they feel safe and knowing what could or could not happen. I agree with that. Or at least the ones that I have coming into therapy tend to be more Same. the anxious response versus yeah. the controlling ones. Maybe yeah, those absolutely. ones just don't come in. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, this 
possibly could be a fairly easy fix and just like open and honest discussions and what changes are you going to make so now everyone feels safe and secure and what is that going to look like? I'm going to throw a wrench into this one because I've had cases where, oh, what I need you to do is I need you to phone me every 15 minutes when you're away. I've had literally cases of that due to breach. And so what is reasonable for, you know, that connection if they're going on a long distance, um, that's not going to disrupt someone's life, especially if they have to work. And in this, you know, one of my cases, it was work. They have to, every 15 minutes, they have to check in. It's like, you know, if you really want to have an affair, you can get that one done faster than 15 minutes. And so it's, you know, it's just trying to help that security. And so they just, well, maybe we'll let's down every seven minutes because I'm feeling even more insecure because I know. And so you have that tightening of that, of that, you know, the noose in a way to try to secure it when really it now just causes more stress on the relationship. Yeah. And sometimes after we do that initial, you know, connection, we have to start weaning it off as trust gets built. Yeah, we need to build the... It's like bodybuilding. You got to build the strength to sit in that uncomfortable. Give it a break so that it kind of builds. Yep, absolutely. All righty. That sounds like moving on to our last one. You betcha. All right. Uh, last question. At the beginning of my current relationship, I was unfaithful. I kissed a guy once and flirted with others. We almost broke up, but thankfully we did not. Certainly it caused some issues. His behavior was different for a long time, but eventually we fell more in love. He became my best friend and confidant. Now, three years later, I'm very afraid of losing him. I've become pathologically jealous and very insecure. He's tried to help, but I find myself not trusting him. I am pushing him away with my jealous behavior, but I cannot stop. How can I fix this? My curiosity is what has changed in their relationship for this to occur? You know, because I might be in the beginning of the relationship, you know, I, I would want to know a little bit, you know, regarding the incident, you know, were you, were you intoxicated, kissed a guy and flirted while you're at a bar when they were that, you know, is it a single incident or did you purposely go out there, you know, but even after that, that at least gives me a, a frame of their history. Um, and then as they work through it, it sounds like they built a, a good relationship. They, you know, they're trusting each other. And then now my question three years later is, what what happened what happened around here to change this pattern of behavior because all of a sudden there's a fear of afraid of losing him now she could be picking up on some stuff that might be happening outside of the relationship but i would want to know what yeah like digging around what's what's happened what what changed since it's it's normally you're going to get a, a build up a lot faster if there's you know there's a breach so well and i just i wonder about codependency you want to explain that? Explain codependency. Well, codependency is kind of like you can't do anything without your partner. Like it's you are dependent on them and they are dependent on you to a point where it is possibly not positive or healthy. And it's just you can't do anything separately. You, you need each other to a point where it can be problematic. Oh, you're saying basically because they fell in more in love, they become dependent. And then it's not the falling more. It's not the falling in love more that I would have an issue with, but it would be, you know, I I'm again I'm looking at the wording, right? Pathologically jealous and very insecure. So if he does things without you, is that a problem? Which it it sounds like it could be, or you know, it because you kissed somebody quite some time ago, it sounds like three years ago anyways, um, and you knew what you could do, are you concerned that he will do the same thing and you can't, it, 
can't i don't know pathologically jealous that's those are big words those are yeah. really big defining words and so that's what i would look at is the like other, how do you define I, pathologically jealous yeah and the insecure now there is a term in psychology called projection where yes. you know now three years later she is now having those thoughts again and now is just pushing it on him because she really does want to face it and, and can blame him in this process too. Um, it's one of the possibilities that we tend to look at in, in you know, therapy, but it's just something you, to explore. If you look at that projection piece, so glad you brought that up. And then she goes on to say, I'm pushing him away with my jealous behavior, but I cannot stop. So sometimes I'll ask my clients, can't or won't, what are you getting from this? Right. Because if you're choosing, if you say you really can't, can you really not? Like I just like I, I can't stop eating. I can't stop drinking water. Like there's dire effects. So is this really a can't or is this a won't? And if it's a won't, are you getting something out of this? Is it, yeah, it sounds like OCD well, or obsessive behavior or, you know, again, so it's just pulling it apart. You know, how much of this is jealousy? Could it be projection? Could there be a, you know, the insecurity now shows itself because of his behavior, something's going on. Make sure you're like doing a good exploration around all of the possibilities rather than making assumptions for those people that are looking at this right here, because my hunch is something's running through her head leading to that jealousy and insecurity. And we need to dig that one out and see if it's valid and, you know, provable rather than just going, you know, oh, I know he's going to be doing something. It's like, is that We're, because he actually did something or because you're thinking about doing something or as you explore those little details, it really helps you understand and open up the case. I think one of the best things I tell clients is, you know, thoughts and feelings are not facts. So <laughs> it, it, I mean, all thoughts and feelings are valid, but we're allowed to learn how to sit in it and be in that uncomfortable and go, oh my gosh, this sucks. This is horrible. But then we can move it along. So the thoughts and feelings are not facts. And then where's the evidence suggesting that he might do something. So those are the two big things I've really, when working with clients, okay, what's the evidence supporting this? And if there's no evidence supporting this thought, in fact, it's probably bunk. Right. And to add to that, you can have the thought and even the feeling, but if you have a good trustworthy pattern of behavior, doesn't mean you're going to go do it. I mean, it's pretty normal to have thoughts of lust or like, wow, you know, I would love to do that, but you don't because you have commitment, you have a group agreements and rules and you're following those. Yeah. So it's being able to look at that trustworthy component is, is this person trustworthy, no matter what's running through their head. I really like the projection thing. Now that I'm, I'm reading the language again, and I'm really <laughs> wondering if she's got something going on in her head and is really projecting onto him. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's lots of goodies in this <laughs> one. This is a nice, nice one to end on. Sometimes I wish we could meet these people in person and go, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. And that's why I think I love my job because every client coming in, it's like a different chess game or a different jigsaw puzzle that I have to figure out and, and be able to, how do we get some movement and change? hundred percent. Yeah. It's never boring, is it? So takeaways. So takeaways. Yes. What are some of the key components of takeaways from what we've been talking about outside of that boobies make milk? <laughs> uh well obviously trust is one of the basic foundations of any type of um relationship and you have to have it to be able to progress forward what does it look like how do we how do we gain it how do we make it if there's a breach how do we how do we bridge that gap so it's 
it's so, so important to have in any type of relationship. And we have, so we have the trust, which is the consistency, openness, honesty, genuineness, and transparency. And yeah. then we have the building of that, which is the repair you mentioned, which is how do you repair that breach once it's occurred? Um, or even if it hasn't fully occurred, you still have to go through a repair process. It's not just a, sorry, everything's fixed now, right? And people just really, I mean, I think transparency is, is first and foremost when it comes to trust, right? You've got you've to be willing to kind of put it all on the table and, and um, be honest and open about what's going on for people to be able to trust you and you to be able to trust them. I'd like to add the whose issue is it? Is it your mistrust of them or is their behavior untrustworthy? And so knowing whose issue it is is another key important point. Or is it the mistrust of yourself? No, right. And then we get the projection. Yes. <laughs> uh, and trauma. Uh, be aware that some incidences could be related to your family history and or trauma. And so you need to explore some of this. All your current behaviors come from somewhere. And it's understanding where those come that's uh, you know, important. And then some of the therapies that we've got would be, you know, EMDR to assist with that, TMS to assist with that, Gottman's, EFT, uh, the book, um, the book you mentioned. Five Languages of Apology. Okay. No, the other one. uh, State of Affairs. by State of Affairs. Those are the two that I tend to like. There's a few others out there, but those would be the ones that I could rattle off the top of my head. So, yeah. So lots of takeaways and lots of things to really consider and resources, which we will have up for everyone to see. And ultimately, there is that possibility that no matter what happens, no matter, you know, if there's been trust in the relationship and it's been breached, there is a possibility that sometimes that it may not be able to be fixed or repaired. And you have to be able to accept that you might not be able to accept or or tolerate that going forward, given that circumstance. But the majority of cases in my mind and my experience is they are workable, they are fixable to a very good degree. Um, and I have hope for the 95 to 99% of my clients when they come in to work through the issues, if they're wanting to. Fantastic. And we will Here's let you go with that. Take care, guys, and have a nice day. I'll see ya. Thank you. Thank you.